Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Episode number 41, the Prolific Writer Podcast. Rachel Heron comes by and drops some major writerly love. Let's go. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well, so you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your Prolific Writer Podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton, and it is time for another interview. I'm so glad that you found us, the podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, write often, and write well. However you are listening to us in your ear region, I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you're on the treadmill. Maybe you're in the office. Maybe you're in the car and a commute sitting in traffic. Maybe you're across the world because I know we have people listening all around the world to this podcast. So we are humbled and thankful for you. And hope this podcast adds a lot of tools to the arsenal to become a prolific writer podcast. And today is so awesome and another great interview, another great episode, not because I'm interviewing this particular person, but because she is so awesome. Rachel Heron stops by the show to drop some serious writerly truth and love. And Rachel, it has a great story. You're going to love her story. You're going to be inspired by her story, working the day job for 17 years, finds some success and wants to write. That's her dream and is able to leave the day job to do what she feels called to do. And she has such an amazing story of what it's like to be a writer. And she is so honest about what it's really like and the struggle, but also the joy And she does a ton of things. She's a podcaster, she's a teacher, and she's a prolific writer who's written a dozen, or excuse me, more than that, uh, 20 books or so, top-selling, solid books that people love and adore. And so we are so thankful to have Rachel Heron to come on the show today. She was so kind to join me. And so you are going to be in for a huge treat and because our interview is so packed with writerly love, I want to get right to it. So here is none other than Rachel Heron. Enjoy. Never has the story of the old glory needed introduction or induction. Just a passing on of morals from the parents to the children's generation. Well, welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I am privileged today to have none other than Rachel Heron on the show. She is a best-selling author of the literary novels Pack Up the Moon, named a 2016 editor's pick by Library Journal, Splinters of Light and Pack Up the Moon, all from Penguin. 
the Darling Bay and Cypress Hollow series and the memoir, A Life in Stitches, also uh, by another publisher, Chronicle. She received her MFA in writing from Mills College, Oakland. She's a New Zealand citizen as well as an American, and she's a proud member of the NaNoWriMo Writers Board. I know she does lots of other things. So, Rachel, anything I missed? Why don't you fill in some blanks? Oh, well, thank, first of all, thanks for having me. Um the only blanks are that I also do a lot of teaching. I'm teaching at Berkeley and Stanford right now. Um, at Berkeley, I'm teaching a developing the novel class. And at Stanford, I'm teaching uh, my favorite thing to teach, which is uh, how to write memoir. So super Wonderful. stoked about that. Yeah, no, it's great. Actually, I'm gonna we're going to get into that in a little little while. Cool. So, All right. Um, I want to dig into your story. And as we, we talked off air, I, I love your story. And actually, you're doing a podcast with Jay Thorne talking about kind of making that transition from the day job to the full-time writer job where money just falls from heaven and it's stable yeah, and it's it wonderful. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I actually thought of your story and I thought, you know, you have a great, great story of, of kind of what this looks like and, and, you know, the ups and downs you've been, been vulnerable and honest about those things. Um, so why don't you just kind of jump in there and talk about kind of, you know, what you used to do and how you made that transition and we'll kind of go, go from there. Sure. Um, well, to kind of back it up to the beginning, I'd always wanted to be a writer. I'm one of those, probably most of the people listening to your show are the same. We always wanted to be a writer. Um, but it took me a long time to get through college because I was kind of a, a lame loser. Um, and trying to go to college for business because everyone told me I couldn't be a writer. So when I finally ditched that and got my um, English degree and then I went on to get my Master of Fine Arts uh, from Mills College in Oakland in writing, that was great. I was then pursuing the dream. Um, and after I got my Master of Fine Arts, I spent seven the next seven years working a day job and really not doing much of anything. I was writing all the time, um, but I never completed anything, not one thing. I, I had a couple of books that were 125 pages, 150 pages. I had one uh, 500 page manuscript, which was uh, a, basically a character sketch. I didn't know that. I didn't. I graduated from this master's program and we'd never discussed finishing a book or what the arc of a book look like, um, which is, I think, a drawback of some MFA pro programs. They're changing that nowadays, thankfully. But uh, so I spent seven years pretty frustrated. And then I heard about NaNoWriMo. Uh, not sure if you've talked about it on your show before. Of course, of course. Yes, of course. It is National Novel Writing Month, where in the month of November, you write 50,000 words. And they don't have to be good. They just have to be done. And uh, my sister told me about it. And um, she told it. She told me about it on October 31st, Halloween. And, of course, November starts the next day. And I told her that that was the most stupid idea I'd ever heard. That no self-respecting writer would ever do something like that. Because that would obviously be bad writing, not good writing, terrible writing. And she left my house and I immediately Googled it. And even while I'm cursing, I'm, I'm signing up for it. Um, and it turned out that that book that I wrote that month that I was writing fast and badly, um, but I was writing with heart and passion because I was writing fast and badly. And when I looked back at that book a few months later, I realized, oh, this Okay, it sucks a lot, but um, but it, there's some there's some major sections that didn't have much suckage that I really thought I could revise. So I revised that book, um, sent it out, and that became the book that got my agent and um, a three book deal with HarperCollins at auction, which was kind of like the fairy tale dream come true. Right. Everybody wants to hear that. Um, and in the meantime, for those seven years and, and then after that, I had been working uh, 911. I started with police and fire. I uh, kind of graduated to just fire and medical, which is something I really, really loved doing. I gave a lot of CPR instructions every day and birth and babies and getting all the equipment to the right places to put out the fires and to to dig children out of wells and stuff like that. It was exciting and fun. Um, and all my coworkers, when I got that deal... Uh, they were like, why, why are you still here? Why, why, why do you still have a day job? Um, but the, in the traditional publishing world, so, and I, and you mentioned it, I do like being really transparent and open and honest because there's a lot of not, not subterfuge, but there's a lot of things that are hidden in the publishing industry that we don't talk about that much. So I like to talk about them. So I got $110,000 for those three books, um, which, that each book is uh, split up into three 
deliverables. So you get paid three times per book. So a total of nine payments after taxes and my agent's cut um, over the course of three years that those were published, because back then you were publishing one book a year. This was in 2010. Um, I took home $15,000 a year for that contract. So which makes sense. You know, I took home roughly $45,000, but I couldn't, you know, I live in the Bay area. I couldn't quit my job and make $15,000 a year. So I still continue to work 60 to 80 hour work weeks, um, at 911. And I spent the next 10 years, um, was it 10 years? That must've been, um, doing both jobs, doing 911, 60 to 80 hours a week and working in all my off time. I was, I was doing probably 20 to 30 hours a week on the writing. Uh, doing that, I published a whole lot of books, probably probably 12 or 13, um, both traditionally. And then when the self-publishing revolution came along, I jumped on board and started publishing um, my romance there. And just about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, um, I was finally able to make the jump, the the exciting, exciting jump. The nine one one agency that I worked with was actually going to take police back. They were gonna they were gonna acquire the dispatching of a police agency. And while I love dispatching for fire, nobody calls the police department because they're having a good day and they don't often need help. They are just they're just upset and and want to rant. And I didn't want to get back into that. And I didn't want to work for the police. So that really um, prompted my jumping. And I will never forget the day that I quit my job because I had been, you know, employed for 17 years as a dispatcher. That was my that was that was my second identity. And I've been doing it ever since college. And the day that I went in to quit, um, I quit my boss couldn't quite believe it. And then I sat down and immediately had to go home because I'd given myself a migraine. I just went full blown migraine mm. <laughs> instantly because of the stress, because I've never done anything like that, that felt that irresponsible jumping into the, into the world. Um, I'm partnered, married in California here. And my wife has an okay job. She happened to lose it as soon as I quit my job, um, about a month after I went full time, she lost it. So, so there's been that whole terrifying balance. She does have a job now, but, um, but I still have to bring in a certain amount in order for us to pay the mortgage here in the Bay area. So that has been really exciting, but it's, like I said, it's been almost two years and I am not living under a bridge mm -hmm. well, and every day that I'm not living under a bridge is a good day. Right. right. Oh. <laughs> it should be a t-shirt or something. Uh, so, uh, so there's so much here and it, what's funny as I listen to your story, I don't know why, but I thought, you know, it's been, you know, 10 years since you quit the, the day job, but, um, oh, but I think so I've heard, recently. I've heard your story in different interviews and, and, you know, part of the reason I want, want to have, have you on and there's so much to unpack here. So, um, a couple things, I mean, one is those of the, that are listening is you do have to know where you live. Um, you live in one of the most expensive places in the universe. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you're thinking about leaving the day job, you know, consider where you live. If it's Omaha or if it's San Francisco, there's a big difference. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and yep. uh, so, you know, being, being wise in that and being smart in that, uh, my sister actually lived in San Francisco for quite a few years, but um, I'm originally from California too and know how expensive what it part? can be. I'm from Southern California, like Long Beach area. Okay. Um, so, uh, so yeah, those factors are the real things. And one other thing I hear in your story, which I think is interesting is that we get a lot of people, you know, I talk about writing in the cracks of your life and I'm going to get into a little bit of your day job too, mm. because I've heard you talk about this is, um, some people genuinely like their day job and that's okay. I think there's a narrative that goes around. Like you have to get rid of the, the day job. It's what's holding you back. It's, you know, it's the worst thing right. ever. But obviously you had a hard time leaving that day job and that was a I big, big right. Job. It was a big identity. Um, but one thing I know you've talked about is your job in particular was very stressful, a lot of hours, um, but you were able to find time and in, in those cracks to actually keep the writing going. So I want to I want to kind of dig into that a little bit um, that you 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 know, you, you made time and you still made, you know, created a lot of books and kind of kept moving along even with, you know, 70, 80 hour work uh, day job. So talk a little about kind of lessons learned in that. I did have the benefit of having the, one of those weird jobs. Um, and, a, and a lot of people can't do this in their day job, but at nine one one, we are not paid to clean, to reshell product. There's no busy work. Our busy work is when, um, 
the the phones ring. We're not paid to do things. We're paid to know what to do when the plane crashes, when the when whatever catastrophe falls. But when a lot of times there's no catastrophe in the middle of the night, even in this huge metropolis, I worked for the county fire department for a while and we were always busy. But there were always a lot of us in the room, eight to ten of us in the room. And in the middle of the night, the phones just don't ring. People are sleeping. But you have to stay awake as a dispatcher. Um, and a bunch of my coworkers did different things. People watched TV, they watched their iPads, um, a bunch of them knitted or crafted or scrapbooked or brought in whatever they're doing. They would pay their bills, they would write letters to their parents, um, play on Facebook all night, and I didn't. I Well, I did all that stuff too, but I also would carve out these little bits of time in the middle of the night to write at work. I wrote um, most of my memoir, while I was at work in the middle of the night, surrounded by other people. Um, my last job where I spent the last five years before I quit uh, was unique in that um, we worked alone in the middle of the night. If 911 rang, I hit a pager and uh, one of my partners who was sleeping in the dorm would wake up and run into the room in case 911 rang a second time and there was somebody there to get it. But um, during those long hours, there was nobody in the room. So while some of my coworkers had the TV on the whole time, it was quiet the whole time when I was doing it. And I got these long, uninterrupted hours to not only write, um, I did sometimes find it hard to write at work just because... 911 will ring at some point and you will be torn out of that that dream of your writing. I could revise really well at work and I um the thing I actually miss it for is all the administrative stuff. All the emails and all the marketing and the promo, uh the stuff that was easy to do even during the day between calls, you know, I would just go on and jump and do do a little thing. So I do miss that time. Um because now all that administrative stuff and promo stuff has to come from the time that I'm at the desk, which is a little trickier. Uh, but I've always been one of those. I love, I love that phrase. Um, what, how did you say it? The cracks of yeah, writing in the cracks of your life. Yeah. I, I love that. Who, who said that? Do you know, or is that yours? I, I made it up. I, maybe I, I, I don't know. I probably stole it from someone, but I, I I'll take credit. Yeah. That's great. I really, so, really like it. It's only, a, um, it's a nickel if you say it. So that's okay. <laughs> okay, it's, cop it's copyrighted, I'm gonna, but I'm going to send you a quarter for, <laughs> right. and that, that should take care of the next right. year. Um, but I, I've always loved stealing time like that. And, um, when I was working, so the last job I worked, uh, two days on four days off, I would be there for 48 hours at a time. And then I'd be home for four days. So we, we lived in the fire station. Um, but up till then I'd been working 12 to 18 hour shifts um, and you may have heard me talk about this on other podcasts, but there was, uh, this time that everything kind of broke open for me. You know, when you hear the one person say the one thing that you needed to hear at that point, I was at a conference and I was listening to Eric Maisel, who's a kind of a motivational speaker and writer who I love, absolutely love, um, was speaking and he was saying, if you're not doing your work, then you need to get up earlier in the morning and do your work. And he's one of those guys. He's, he's a big proponent of doing it early in the morning. As am I. It works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, but I threw this little hissy fit in um, in my chair, silent hissy fit, because at that point I was working 12 to 18 hour shifts and I was driving an hour to get to work by 6 a.m. So I had to leave my house at 5 a.m., which meant I had to get up at 4.30. And, and, I, and I had this hissy fit and I just thought, no one can tell me that I have to get up earlier than 4.30. That man doesn't understand my life and he is wrong. And then this little voice just kind of said, oh crap, maybe he's right. Maybe I have to get up earlier. So I made this commitment then and there that I would start to get up before I went to work and just grab. At first, it was just half an hour. I'd get up at 4 a.m. and I would just get 30 minutes. And those 30 minutes every single day started to add up into real words, real, real writing, real revision. And um, I got my agent, I think, three weeks after I made that um, commitment to myself. And there's that uh, there's a quote by Goethe that says at the moment of commitment, the universe conspires to assist you. And it really felt like that. That was my true moment of commitment. And then kind of everything started falling in place. And of course, I've been doing all the work for a long time before that. Sure. Um, but yeah, fitting it in even before work or even at the, I've, I've written whole books in 15 minute segments mm -hmm. because I couldn't find more than that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I'm so glad you answered the way you did because I was trying to, I was kind of prodding you that you were going to go this way because I, I, I want to show our audience and I want them to hear that it's possible. 
And uh, yeah. we had someone on talk about 25 minute writing sprints and yep. only doing those, you know, two, three, four, five times a day, just kind of in the cracks of your life. And it's something about that mindset of like, this is what I got up to do. There's nothing else. There's yes. no other reason I got up. It's not because I want to check the news. It's like, I got up to write. There's like a shift that happens in your mind. And yes. you just, you, I mean, you can write 1500 words in, in 30 minutes very easily Yeah, because yeah. that's all you're doing. And, you know, in 1500 words a day, you know, over six months is a ton of words. And, Absolutely. and that's what I want, I want people to hear is that you can have a stressful job. You know, you have to get up at three, you have to stay up late, whatever, but it's possible. Um, the nice so, thing about that yeah, is that it, you get you there. It, everyone listening will probably have this feeling, too, that that we have this one need and it's to write. And if you write then no matter what happens the rest of the day, your day is a success. Mm -hmm. You have already started successfully doing the one thing that matters to you the most, even if you only did it for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know what that analogy is. Something about the frog and the kettle or it's, it's about, <laughs> it's, it's something about, um, I'm totally saying it wrong. Doing the, <laughs> doing, it's basically doing the, the hard thing first. I don't know how it has to do with frogs. Yeah. And it's like eating a, eating a frog. Yeah, first thing. Right, there I, is something I right. can't, I See can't you, pick it up either. I'm not totally retarded. <laughs> no, you're yeah, not. <laughs> no, that's, that's, uh, it's, it's cause sometimes the writing is the hardest. So doing, getting that out of the way, like you said, it's like, you know, the rest of your day, you're like, okay, I did, I did my thousand words. Like I'm good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anything else is, is, is gravy. So, um, so let's talk about the transition from day job to new day job. Um, what was that like? Kind of that first day, first week, first year, where all of a sudden you're going, okay, um, there's a lot more time here. Because um, <laughs> I want to hear, I want, I want the audience to hear about writers that have made this transition. Because I know it's not always easy. Like I think people think it's glamorous, and now I have plenty of time, and now I just write for hours and hours. But it's that you know all these analogies I can't think of off the top of my head, but that, that law of, you know, you fill your time, you only have a certain amount of time, but you're going to fill it doing something. Yeah. Um, and, and the activities expand to fill the time. Exactly. Allotted. Exactly. Yeah. And, which is a real, that's a problem. So, so what, what were kind of lessons learned as you made that transition, um, kind of going full-time writer? My hardest, the hardest thing for me to deal with. Um, and it's something that I continue to battle is, this feeling of worthiness, um, because I spent so many years working so freaking hard and then the dream came true. You know, I worked myself into a position where I was bringing in enough money that, you know, we were going to take a huge loss on money, but if, you know, we, if we pulled in the belt tight and we scrimped and saved, I could write full time. So the joy about it was it's incomparable. It is just like nothing I've ever known that first week of, of, you know, for, for the last 10 years, my days off, I had walked into my office and sat down to write. Those are my days off. And now this was my job to walk into the very same office and just write. And I could have days off for the first time in, in ever. Mm -hmm. So um, I have to be really honest with you. And the, the excitement of that has not worn off. I never, ever, ever mm -hmm. take this job for granted. Um, the flip side of that not taking it for granted is that I do feel a lot of guilt about it. And I and I think that's ludicrous. And I and I am always working on dumping the guilt because um, I didn't do this on a whim. I'm finishing my 19th novel now. Mm -hmm. uh, I work my ass off. I work as hard as I can and I deserve to be in this chair. But when I see people that I love, my family going off to the jobs that they don't love as much because that's how they need to pay the bills. There is this like, what? It's, it's not fair. They should be able to do the things they want to do all day too. Like, how did this happen to me? This is fantastic. I really do get to do what I want to do all day long, every day. Oh, so the, but the problem I had was um, in establishing my right to do that. I, when I first started for about the first six months, I would easily work 12 hours a day. And I was burning myself out um, and I was not getting everything I wanted to get done. People do say this strange thing that I had worried would be true for me. They say, oh, you know, I took a sabbatical. I took a year off and I wrote, but I didn't get any more writing done than I did before. Um, and that might happen to some people, but it's definitely not true for me. I have more time, period. And I write more. Mm -hmm. um, more words get done. So that's not a problem. But um, my tendency to go into... Uh, uh, which oh, workaholism mm -hmm. kicks in and I really have to, I really have to work on not doing that. I track my time now. I try to get up from the desk by five or 6 PM. And sometimes I'm even successful at that. 
Sure. No, I think there's a danger. I, th- I think there, you know, we can romanticize it, but I think you don't have, you're your own boss. You know, you can write all day long if you want, but like your body, you know, sitting at a desk, bent over, arms, legs, right. you know, we got to get up, we got to move around, we got to, you know, you as, have they, to, as yeah. they say, you know, sitting is the new smoking and, you know, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> yeah. especially for writers. So, um, you know, I, I do love my, I do love my uh, standing desk. Do you have one of those? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. I've actually, love. I don't, have you tried the treadmill thing? I'm scared of that. I just yes. feel, okay. I feel like I I'm going to fall on my for face. Myself. Yeah, okay. no, I built one for myself right behind where I'm sitting now. I stuck a shelf on a wall and got a, got a treadmill on Amazon, um, fell off of it like twice. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the shelf was wobbly and I just hated the whole contraption and I never used it and got rid of it. But I really like the standing desk. No. Yeah. That's, that's great. I think there's, there's some things we could, could talk about there, but um, but I, I think, you know, not romanticizing, but also saying there is some freedoms there. I think I love what you're talking about, kind of self-doubt or fear or identity or there's a weird thing with with arts and creative. It's like that's not a real job. Like you can't do that. Right. Like you can't. I still you know, feel like it's not yeah, a real like job. You don't want to tell people like, oh, that, yeah. I wrote a book. It's like, you know, and then it's like, well, what'd you write? And it's like, why would you waste your life? Oh, you want to live your life that way? You know, it's like you hear these voices like, oh, you want to lock yeah. yourself in a room and be irresponsible for six months? You know, it's like that's, that's what I hear. Play in your imagination. Yeah, right. Like, what are you twelve? Like, I mean, you have an MFA for crying out loud. That's exactly what good is that going to do i have this stock answer that i use for like lyft drivers when they ask what i do Uh, i always say that i'm a project manager because that shuts the conversation down right right no one wants to hear what a project manager does and i'm not a good liar except on the page so um it's true i'm a project manager i'm managing all these projects yep no but that's good (laughs) i mean i think that's good to just be confident and you know this is who i am and this is you know i get to live my dream and again that's not everybody it's not everybody's path but um but you know there's some some added benefits to that too. Um, you know, taking breaks, I think, uh, I just wrote an article about this, um, you know, writing retreats, Sabbaths, like, yeah, you know, we, we just think like, well, you're creative. It's not that taxing, but there is a point of no return in, in creativity too, where you kind of hit a wall where it's like, it's, I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm just banging my head against the wall. So kind of refueling, yeah. especially after the hangover, I call yeah. it the, the writing hangover after a book's done. You're just like, I don't want to see that pile of whatever, Again, I've, I've ever. read it so many times. It's the worst thing ever. It's, yeah. It gets, it gets worse yeah, every time it, you look at it. It's the best. Yeah. It's a New York times bestseller the first time through. And like the 30th time through, I just want to like <laughs> light it on fire and, exactly. you know, and then, you know, you need like a break, like, okay, walk away, just walk away. Yeah. You know, so, um, no, really good. So, um, so a couple more things I think are really interesting about your story, um, is you've, you've kind of gone traditional, you've gone indie, not kind of, you have. Um, you, you've lived in both of those worlds. You've you've talked very honestly, very candidly about the pros and cons of both and traditional. Um, I, I loved even your comment about MFAs and how they didn't even teach me how to finish a book. You know, they didn't. Or like, you know, it's like I got this degree, Ugh. but you're not actually going to finish anything. Um, yeah. And you know, not being able to live off a traditional deal, even though that sounds like a ton of money, but after you know breaking it down for us, it's like you know, I think a cup of coffee in San Francisco costs fifteen thousand dollars. I heard. <laughs> So, You're so right. Yeah. So, <laughs> You're so right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just being honest about those things. But um, but I want to go back even further than your actual traditional indie deals is talk a little bit about your or- origin story. Um, you know, you write, you've wrote a memoir, you've wrote romance, you know, literary fiction. Talk a little bit about your influences kind of growing up. You know, you always wanted to be a writer. You know, what was your home like? What was what was kind of kind of your influences, books you read that it really got kind of the creative part of you going? I... Uh... One of the most awesome things that I can remember is actually my first memory. And I'm, I, I'm one of those ridiculous kids who I learned to read when I was three. And it's my first memory. I remember that day. I remember the day that I asked my mother to read me The Three Little Pigs. Again, it was the New Zealand version. It's much better than the American version. And she was busy. And she said something flippant, like, you know, go read it yourself. And I explained to her, I can't, Mom, I can't read. And she says, you know, all the letters, just make them into sounds and make that work. And I just thought that was silly. But I went and sat down with a book and I realized that the phonemes that I'd learned that matched the letters I could actually put into, you know, P was P and I was it and G was G and that meant pig, P-ig. And 
And the light literally clicked in a few seconds. And I read that whole book and I read the book that whole day. And I read, I read the book to my dad when he got home that night and he was like, you could read another book. (laughs) Really? It works for all of them. So, um, and my, and my family are all huge, huge readers. My dad, mom, both my sisters, they're, um, they're all writers. Uh, and it was one of those times where basically we were not allowed television and almost 100% of the time, we were all lying on a couch somewhere reading. Uh, we were not allowed to read at the dinner table. And and I thought that we all thought that was very, very unfair. We could read at the dinner table if my dad was out of town. So we would just pray for him to go out of town so that we could also read it. <laughs> we could always read it breakfast and lunch. And we always did. Um, I was super influenced by Ellen Montgomery, who wrote the Anne of Green Gables series. And just this last year, I went with my sisters to visit Prince Edward Island, where Ellen Montgomery was born and raised and wrote her books. And I read those over and over and over again. And and the Anne of Green Gables and all of her books often have a girl who dreams about being a writer. Mm-hmm. And I so identified with that girl. And I also loved Joe, Joe March and Little Women, because she was going to be a writer and everything that mattered to her was writing. And now that it's really occurs to me that this is a very female thing. And for little boys who want to be writers, are there those seminal texts that show boys who want to be writers? Yeah. Only if you read uh, Stephen King where every character is a writer. So, <laughs> you know, sure. um, but yeah. no, there, there's really not, I don't think, I don't think creativity, <laughs> I don't think, you know, arts are really like, who, yeah, who would be the example? I mean, but I mean, there's, but, but when you think historically, I mean, there's tons of male, you know, Hemingway and, you know, Shakespeare. Of course, of and, course. The but, male writers back then were the ones who got through more. But it's not, it's but, not like encouraged. It's not, oh yeah, like I wanted to be Mark Twain or I wanted to be, yeah. you know, like, yeah, that's very true. My wife's favorite book actually is Anne of Green Gables. Mine and, too. And, you know. And most female writers that I talked to were really influenced by Anne and by Joe March. Mm-hmm. And, and I just realized maybe boys didn't have that same thing. Well, and I, oh, don't, I, I don't think I'm, I'm unique in, in one way. I probably reason I write is because, um, my aunt and my parents were big readers and encouraged reading. Um, but I, you know, as I, now I have kids, I, I realized that a lot of times that's not encouraged. Like it was more sports outdoors, you know, yeah. beat up your brother, um, other, yeah. other outlets. But like, I think that creative, you know, like a, a guy who writes or a kid who, a boy who writes is, is not as, I just kind of found that I had a typewriter and I was just like making up stories even before I could put words together. And yeah, um, but I didn't, you know, you didn't have those role models. You really didn't. Oh, that would be so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely more yeah, women I, writers than men. That's for sure. Do you think so? I think so. I think by number probably, I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'd guessing. I, 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 that's super interesting. I've never actually thought mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, but I'm like you. I got it. I got. I was attracted to my first typewriter when I was probably ten or so. My parents bought it for me at a garage sale, and I wrote. I wrote this newspaper. I must have been maybe I was younger than that, maybe nine, um, because the title of the newspaper was the smallest newspaper in the world, not including Jupiter. And I, I even remember back then thinking like, well, that doesn't make sense because I'm saying in the world, but not including Jupiter. The logic doesn't hang together here, but I liked the, I liked the sound of it. So um, I would type it up. My dad would take it to the photocopy place down the street, and then I would go door to door and sell it to our, our, our neighbors who I'm sure just, you know, laughed their butts off at me. But uh, they would give me a quarter for it. And back then, that was like two candy bars. Mm-hmm. Um, one lady once gave me a dollar, and I will never forget it. And I and I wish I had a copy of those somewhere, but I've, I've lost all of those. So, yeah, I was I, there were always books. My, my mom worked in a bookstore. I ended up working in the same bookstore with her. Books were really our religion in our house. And... Um, and even though as a kid I hated that I couldn't watch TV, mm-hmm. uh, we did have one and it would pick up the local PBS station and we could watch one hour show and it had to be Mr. Rogers or um, Sesame Street. And that was that was it. That's all we got. Mm-hmm. So all my other TV experiences came from friends' houses. But I think, in, you know, they did the right thing for us. And we all we all ended up the way we are. And we're all huge readers still. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, every writer that gives advice, they always say you have to be a reader if you want to be a writer. Yeah. And, and it, I think it actually a lot of writers stop reading, which I think is, is detrimental because I think that's where you learn. You keep stretching, keep growing because you, you know, you read these books and you're like, wow, look what they're doing there. Like I just read this book. I don't know if you've ever read, um, Oh, what's his name? Um, his last name is Blake. Um, 
Uh, he wrote uh, Dark Matter. I don't know if you've heard that book. Um, mm, he wrote like that's... the um, there's a the Pines uh, Pine. It was a TV show. Russell Russell Blake. Russell, yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, he, he wrote this book, and and I was just noticing the language, and he wrote very stark, kind of quick hit kind of sentences, and I just thought as a as a writer. Like, well, that's, but it worked. Like he, you know, he didn't go over descriptive, but he just like very punchy, but it kept me going. And, yep. and it was just like one of those things, but just by being a reader, like I had no intention of studying his book, but as I was reading it, I'm kind of going, wow, it's fascinating how he can like punch, you know, really describe something, keep the book going, but very short sentences. Um, you yeah. know, when you read another book, it's very, you know, long descriptive and that works too, you know, but it's, yeah. it's just part of growing and stretching yourself as a reader, you know, that... just, just yesterday I was reading, um, Duma Key by, uh, Stephen King, which I've never, I haven't read oh, a yeah. Stephen King yeah. book in for forever. And I'm, I'm worried this is going to scare me to death, but, um, but it's really good. And the thing I love about the Kindle and it, this works on Kindle library books as well, uh, is when you highlight the, um, the segment, mm-hmm. you can then keep it forever. It's in your highlights on right. the on candle.amazon.com. Right. So um, I often will highlight something and make a note. And he did this incredible transition that brought me through time. And then he used a couple of, um, I was standing in the kitchen and then he went to the simple past tense. And I was. it was just masterful how he moved us through time in these three sentences, something that I always struggle to do. And, you know, I highlighted it and kept mm-hmm. it just because I'm having a good time reading this book. I'm, I, you're always, always learning. Right. Yeah. Yep. Reading is the best way to do it. Um, yep. So you, you have an interesting uh, career because you're also a writer, um, but you also do a lot of teaching. And, yeah. um, and one of the things that I, I, I just as I was thinking about that, I, I realized, you know, you have a captive audience, you know, I don't know if it's every week or every, you know, multiple times a week of young writers. And my question was, what are you kind of seeing with, with writers? And, and here's, what I want to kind of frame the question is what are some of the, cause you've written a lot of books. I love experience is what are some of the kind of rookie mistakes you're seeing with writers? I mean, they come in with a lot of zeal, a lot of excitement, but you know, what, what are some things you're seeing that, that maybe we could learn from as you kind of have a captive audience with a lot of aspiring writers uh, in your world? Such an interesting question. Um, I think the number one thing I see with brand new writers is, and this makes complete sense, um, is utter lack of patience. Mm. And and how could you have patience? You've just decided <laughs> that you want to be a writer right. and you have, you know, 100 words on the page. You need 100,000 or whatever your goal is. Um, so that that lack of patience translates on the page to... Um, too much hurry on the page. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, they, they go from, they, they, they just move too fast and they don't take enough time in each moment that they're showing us because really that's what we read for mm-hmm. is to be transported into other worlds. And in order to be in another world, another place or, or the memory of someone, um, that writer has to take their time and bring you with them and show you details and explain and really, really bring you close. Uh, but when you're that excited about writing, mm-hmm. sometimes it just goes, all just goes, bleh, which is fine. That's what revision is for. Um, the other thing that is real common in new baby writers is that they hope to goodness that they never, ever have to revise mm-hmm. that, um, that maybe they'll just kind of get it right. Mm-hmm. And because no one knows how to revise, no one teaches you that. Um, everyone has to learn that kind of the hard way. Sure. And, um, and I know, I think that was one of my stumbling blocks for a very long time. And I just kept writing these books that I, I couldn't do anything with because I was not willing to attempt revision. I just thought that eventually if I waited long enough, I'd be a good enough writer that I wouldn't have to revise very much. Mm-hmm. And um, so one thing I do like to work with all my students on is getting over that fear um, and teaching them that it, I, I honestly think it's the most fun part of writing. I think it's where the creativity really comes out to play. Um, so that's, that's something. What, what else do these people do? Um, mostly, mostly I just, I just have such a good time teaching because students are so excited. Mm -hmm. Um, I get a lot of repeats, repeat offenders who have been in a lot of classes and done a lot of taken a lot of things and written a lot. Um, But then every once in a while, I'll get the person I had my my new class started last night. And I have a couple people in the class who just said, I have never written anything, but it's something I've always wanted to do. And they're the ones who excite me the most because I can't wait to see what they bring to the class and share, you know. 
Well, I, I know you're connected to NaNoWriMo, and I think NaNoWriMo yeah. is one of those, you know, tools, if you will, that can really help a writer kind of learn how to start and finish something. Yep. Um, I know, you know, I was, I've was i been coaching this this writer, and one of the things he said to me, he said, how do I, you know, I can't get past 20,000 words. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to do. And kind of, you said patience too, even in, and I thought you're going to go another direction, like just patience and writing in general, like you're not going to make it big, your first thing, but <laughs> well, that's very, but true. yeah, very as true. you, as you yeah. write, you know, you realize, yeah, you, you can't, you got to kind of bring us along, you know? And, yeah. and so NaNoWriMo for me, the first one I did, I, I did, I petered out at 20,000 words and I realized I, I was trying to dump everything in the first chapter and yeah. you know, I didn't outline anything. I didn't really it's have, exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. You're like, this is awesome. And then 15 And then you have nothing left. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and so it really teaches you if you can, can kind of get in there and do it, like how to think of, you mentioned, um, not being able to, or MFA is not teaching you how to finish. Um, learning how to do that with, with NaNoWriMo is like big, you know, a beginning, a middle and an end, at least, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be yeah. perfect or flawless, but it's just the stretching that creative muscle. Well, and know? that's the, that's the, that's the imperative word too, is stretching because in NaNoWriMo, um, no matter what I believe in NaNoWriMo, even if you don't win, you're still getting more words than you probably would have without oh, doing yeah. the challenge. Yep. But if you're committed to the win, if you really want to get to 50,000, you hit that 20,000 mark. And it's, it's, it's the sagging middle or it's completely broken and you realize it, or you don't want to write this book anymore. And yet you push yourself mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, the next day is 1,667 words. Um, if anybody wants to do nano this year, uh, you should number one. And number two, I always highly recommend doing a reverse nano. Have you heard, ever heard of that? No, tell us. It's great. Google reverse nano. I can't remember the exact numbers, but basically you start November really hard. You write, um, and every day, the number of words you have to write goes down. So I think the first week you write 4,500 the first day, 4,000 the second day, 3,900 the third day. Um, but it gets down to the end. So the, 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 by the second half of the month, you're only writing 1,500 words, 1,000 words, 800 words. And for me, that's, that's always a lot more doable. Mm -hmm. um, I can go real hard and then, and then keep that momentum. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Nano does really teach you to keep going and to keep pushing. Because when we do run out of ideas, sometimes that means the best idea is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. Also, sometimes it means you just have to go to bed and eat ice cream and cry. Right, so right. It's, one, it's really one or the other. That's usually what I do. Uh, but <laughs> The, uh, I think it actually, that reverse makes sense because you're so excited at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I know when I start nano, I'm, you know, it's like 8 million words the first day and then yeah. 2 million yeah. the next. And then it's like then, <laughs> two weeks in, like four words. I just want to hurt myself. <laughs> you know, this exactly. is the worst thing ever. You know, again, like the laptop's Getting out worse. the window. Yeah. 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 No, that, that makes a lot of sense. No, that's great. Um, no. So, you know, I think beginning writers, you know, it's, it's that patience piece. It's, it's learning, but stretching that muscle, anything that can help. I mean, again, a NaNoWriMo, depending on how you're wired, I think, I don't think it matters how you're wired. I think there's something about the competition element, the yeah. structure of it, the, the, community. Date, the deadline, the community, like all mm. those things really help you keep going. And the fact you're not doing it alone is, is wonderful. Um, so yeah, tapping into that. Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, so you're, you know, you're teaching, you're helping writers that way. You're also, you got all these podcasts. I just heard you have another one. Um, <laughs> so, you know, how do you write? I love that podcast much better and well-produced than mine. Um, I, and so, I, I disagree. And, disagree. <laughs> uh, no, but it's a, it's a fantastic, uh, uh, interview show because you really get Thanks. into so many different, I mean, I, I'm amazed at the, the authors you have on there cause they're so unique. I mean, they're all over the place. Do you um, want to be on it? Um, sure. I'd love to. Great. I just spoke um, to my next person. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I trust you. I got a weird ask from someone. I won't say their name, but it was the weirdest thing ever. It was on Twitter and I, I don't know what was going on. I got blasted with like these form intake thing and this like, and they kept sending me the same email. It was almost like a robot. Like it was the weirdest thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, it wasn't me. I promise. Yeah, no, I, I was so excited. I'm like, I want to be famous. And it was like a robot. So, um, anyway, um, but no, you, you, you got into that space. So tell us a little bit about the, you obviously have a, a passion to give back and teach and help. I mean, where does that, that come from? I mean, you interview a lot of people, you're doing all the Jay Thorne talking, you know, about transitioning from the day job. Talk, talk a little bit about that. The, um, the, how do you write podcast came about, I had just quit my job and I think it was maybe the next month and I kept having these bouts of insomnia that lasted for about six months because I hadn't slept regularly in 17 years. I had been sleep deprived for that long. 
And and I kept waking up in this panic, you know, ready to be paged in and answer 911. But it's just because the dog barked and I wouldn't be able to get back to sleep. So I started thinking about things. And I just I thought to myself um, how much I got from other podcasts, especially at that time I was listening to Joanna Penn, um, Simon's Rock and Self Publishing Mm -hmm. podcast and and how much they had helped me in 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 my writing and my self publishing. Mm and I sat up in bed and I thought, I want to do a podcast. And then I thought, that's ridiculous. And then I Googled it and I found that it is doable. And I spent basically the the whole night doing that. Um, my wife woke up to, and walked into my office and I had a logo, the music track done. I had the microphone ordered and I had um, an angle because I wanted not to just to do just, you know, another podcast. I wanted an angle that hadn't been addressed yet. And I am fascinated by writers processes. Mm -hmm. I am always, always, always looking for the magic bullet. I want somebody to tell me that if I buy this particular pen and this notepad and sit in this position with my left ankle crossed over my right, that writing is going to be easy. Um, Because writing is really, really hard. And a lot of days I I hate writing. I always love writing, but a lot of days I hate writing. Looking for that. And I'm the person in the audience when you go to hear a writer read from their work. I don't care about them reading from their work. I'm going to buy the book anyway and read it. Mm-hmm. I want to hurry up and and get to the person in the audience who it might be me or might not be me who says, what's your process? How do you write? Yep. And a lot of times writers roll their eyes. They've been asked it so many, so many times. Yep. But I think what they forget is that we are all looking for that magic bullet. And I, there was no other podcast out there about writer's processes. So mm-hmm. Um, that's why I started that. And then the other podcast with Jay Thorne, the day job to dream job, um, came about, that's called the petal to the metal. Um, not the pedal. We know it's wrong. It's a joke. We keep getting emails. Did you guys know it's the pedal? Yes. We, <laughs> Aren't we're you aware. Writers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm the Spell pedal. Check. He's obviously the metal. And, uh, and, and at that point, um, I had been writing full time for about a year and Jay was about six months or so from making the full-time jump. And so the first six months of the podcast were about us talking about that leap. And now we're in version 2.0 where we talk about um, what it really means to be a full-time writer. And uh, we ask each other questions and we never know uh, what the question is going to be. So it's always a surprise. So we have these short conversations. It's a short podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, your question was what drives me to give back. And I don't even think it's really that altruistic. I just, I get so much out of it that it feels selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, I send a weekly email out of just straight up writing encouragement, nothing else, um, once a week. And that makes me think about writing. And I get so much for my own writing just by thinking about what that topic is going to be, what I'm going to talk about, what I'm, how I'm going to encourage them this week, mm-hmm. um, that it encourages myself. And I get so much back from the people that I interview that it's a gift to me. I just love hanging out with Jay Thorne. He's, he's my guy. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very selfish. And the fact that I'm giving back at the same time is just like this super, super cool bonus. Mm-hmm. So... Well, I mean, that's, you know, I've talked about on the show. That's why I started this podcast is actually for selfish reasons. It was, yeah. you know, I was looking for something. I wanted to hear from people that nobody's really heard of and that's no offense to you. Um, but the, rea- like but the reality is like, you're, you're making it, you're doing it. You're I'm making you know, it, I'm doing it, but, but I am not recognized on the street. No, ever, exactly. You know? And like, I think One people ha- have this myth of like, you know, oh, well, I, you know, isn't, Hugh Howie, doesn't everybody know who that is? Or Stephen King? I mean, Stephen King jokes about it. He's like, there's like a handful of people that even recognize. He tells a story about um, someone thought he was Steven Spielberg in a restaurant <laughs> and um, and how he, he actually signed the napkin, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> you know, he's like, hey, aren't you? You're famous, aren't you? And he ends up you know, signing the napkin, you know, but he's like, yeah, you're not you're not as recognizable as, as you think you are. And yeah. And, and also, I mean, I've had literally, I've, I had a lady on here. No one's ever heard of. She writes 29 books a year. Um, she 29 makes, a year. Yeah. She makes like, you know, $7 million a year or some crazy thing. Yeah. Um, and she's a good writer. Like she was a former journalist. She knows how to just crank clean copy and people. What kind lo- of books does she write? She writes like, um, kind of like, um, I don't call it women. I would say, well, mostly women read it, but it's, it's women's like, fiction. it's like, yeah, well, no, it's like, um, uh, like, uh, witch stories, like, but more kind of, um, 
witch mysteries or something like that. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, very, you know, but very just clean stories and people love them and they're, you know, some are short, some are long and she just knows what she's doing. Um, but, but and her readers know her, but nobody else does. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's like, she doesn't do a ton of promo. She's not on everything, but she's just kind of quietly just cranks out her books. Yeah. If you write 29 books a year, you yeah. do not have to do any promo. You are <laughs> right. like, you're right. off the hook. Right. And those are your promo. That's like the only yeah. time you don't have to do promo. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, the next book. Um, but, you know, that and then, like you said, hearing process and then realizing I just want people to hear like everybody's process is different. If there was yeah. a book you could just pick up. I mean, Stephen King's book's great. But even when you read it, you go, you got to put your butt in the chair and write 2000 words a day. That's how you do it. You know, and again, you if, if you need a sky fairy to come down and sit on your shoulder or a leprechaun or something or yep. rub a magic lamp, you know, just do that. But, <laughs> but you know, everybody's, and I think it's fear. I think it's resistance. I think it's, if I just had the right software, if I just had the right writing office, if I just was a little bit taller or shorter or, you know, had more time, or if less I was a girl, time. if I was a guy, if I yeah. was, yeah, if I had an MFA, then maybe just maybe, you know, um, and yet those are just things we say to just psych ourselves out and not do that's kind of one of my favorite things to share with people is yeah. that yeah. that oh there's always this this moment of revelation um in the memoir class because a lot of memoirists um that i get in classrooms uh they're they're interesting because they don't write fiction as a general rule mm -hmm. they want to write the story of their life and i'd say 98 percent of humanity wants to write the story of their life so i get a, brand, a lot of brand new writers who have never done anything mm -hmm. before and um and usually about week three or four one or two of them will say in the question time, they'll say, but Rachel, I don't think I'm a writer because it's so hard. Mm -hmm. And that's when I say, oh, my God, congratulations. Yeah, right. Finally. You're a writer. It's so hard. It's the worst right. thing ever. Don't you just <laughs> hate it? It's the worst thing ever. And, and, and their eyes just bug out. Yeah. They're like, you hate it too? Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. It's so difficult and it never gets easier. Right. But it's also the most awesome thing that anybody can yeah. possibly do for a job. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'd like to blow their minds that way. <laughs> well, and I think that's, you know, guys like Stephen Pressfield who've made their living off yeah. writing these yeah. books, basically saying like, you're going to have the worst fear and self doubt and it's every book, it's going to come back and it's a demon and we don't know what it is. And it's just a weird animal, you know, but, and it's just so true. Right. But when you, when you know that going in, then it's not as shocking when it keeps happening and then you just mm -hmm. keep, keep grinding away. So, um, yeah, yeah good stuff. So. Um, I want to kind of wind down our interview. I, I told you ahead of time that I'd give you some kind of quick hit questions. And yeah. so these are kind of fun ones I love to do because everyone has really cool and unique recommendations. Um, so biggest, th this is not a recommendation, actually. This is your biggest writing publishing failure and just a lesson learned. Uh, well, I love this. I love this question. Um my biggest publishing failure is probably like all of my books. And I bet you didn't expect <laughs> didn't that. Didn't expect they that. Just, <laughs> Pretty they, much my whole life is just a all, <laughs> all of my traditionally published books, either they either do really well in the States but fail in Australia or really what normally happens is uh, my romances do really well in Australia but fail everywhere else um, with the exception of self-publishing. But, but traditional publishing, I just like to kill careers as often as possible. And I'm constantly going into contract writing three books and then nah, they didn't sell well enough. So, you know, no, no more contracts. So I'm, I'm constantly a failure. Um, but in that there's, 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 I'm actually writing an essay right now about failure and mistakes. And um, the biggest failure I think I ever felt was right before my first book came out, it got a bad review or it got a lukewarm review that felt like agony to me uh, from a major trade publisher, a trade review. And um, at the same week, my editor called me to say the book I had just turned in wasn't going to be good enough that I had to really revise it because I didn't really know what story structure was. I had I had I had. I'd had this fluke of understanding how a book worked when I wrote my first one, but I didn't know how to apply that to the second one. So there was that week where um, the one thing that I'd ever wanted to do, I was truly, truly failing at. My first book wasn't out, but it had a lukewarm review and uh, I'd failed writing the second book. And I and the only thing I could say about that week is that I sat with it and I then I danced with failure and failure dropped me a few times on my head. And I kept getting up and saying, I'm 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 not letting this go. I'm going to keep fighting. So the failure taught me to not be that scared of failure. Right. Um, getting dropped by publishers has taught me not to fear 
getting dropped by publishers. And actually right now, you may have heard me talk about this, but I have this in really sweet deal where I write books for um, Random House Australia and they sell really well there. And then I self-publish them the rest of the world. Hmm. They they don't get the rights for that. Um, and so I get professional editing and all of that stuff and then I can take it everywhere else. So that's it's a kind of like a hybrid within my hybrid model, um, which cool. is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, the failure thing. And the other thing is like we think it's going to be perfect. Like do we really think we're going to turn it and everyone's just going to leap through the ceiling and go, this is, you know, fell down from heaven without any flaws. And yes, that is what we think. But we tell but ourselves I, that like every I, time. Yeah. When like, I, whenever I send out, a, I swear, I swear to you, this is, is going to sound like the cockiest thing ever. But when I send a, a book to my editor, it is always with this, this low simmer of hope that this will be the time she writes back and she goes, great, I'm going to send it to copy yeah, it. Yeah. And then, you know, she writes back and tears it all apart. Yeah. And I do, a, I do a revision and I love it. But there's always that hope. I, I literally look, I, I talked to my editor the other day. I looked him in the eye and I was like, Hey, so what'd you think? And he kind of <laughs> gave me this kind of like lukewarm look. And I was just like, in my head, I'm going you don't know what you're doing. Like that was, this is the greatest thing that's <laughs> ever been written. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like I was so, <laughs> I was so deflated. I was like, I thought he'd be doing dances and like, you know, how do we get you on Oprah and you know, all this. And I'm just like, okay. And this was in person. Yeah. yeah this was like in person. Like terrible. he, he just kind of gave me like a, no, it's good. Like, I, I really like it. Like, I mean, I think he was stressed. I mean, there's a, there's a lot behind that, but yeah. He, he, uh, he kind of got behind too and he felt really bad. He's like, his, <laughs> his, actually his daughter, this is really sad. This, this is why you back up your work. Um, his oh, daughter, no. uh, jumped on his keyboard. Um, and, and then he left, I think he left the room or something and she was like messing with the, the computer and like erased the whole thing. So he had done like half of it and it was gone. Oh, and he's like, no. I don't know how to tell you this, you know, I feel so bad. And that is just yeah. uh, dozens of hours of I know, work. It's agony. So, oh, um, no. anyway, um, <laughs> We, we, we move on. Um, okay. Must read fiction, not your own book. Uh, I'm right now recommending The Marsh King's Daughter by Karen Dion. Um, I had her on my show after I read her book, which just freaked me out. It is so good. So scary. It's a thriller. Um, you remember the book The Room? Yeah. It's like The Room Strikes Back. Ooh, I like it's, that. So good and terrifying. And then if I could just add an extra one, um, yep. the Aftertime series by Sophie Littlefield, I think is just one of the best um, dystopic, uh, post-apocalyptic uh, series that's out there. And it's not it's not well known, but but they're they're wonderful books. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I literally had an interview I, two weeks in a row. And um, you mentioned Joanna Penn. She was actually on the show. Uh, episode oh, cool. 39, um, if you care. But um Two weeks in a row, The Stand by Stephen King. Like, so random. Really? Like, to two totally different authors. They both said The Stand. I just... I've never I've never read it. Yeah, I know. A lot of people haven't. It's actually it's actually really good. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, that's so funny. I'm glad it's not The Stand. So, um, <laughs> must read nonfiction can be related to business or craft or not. It doesn't matter. I am a huge fan of Larry Brooks' Story Engineering. Oh, yes. Good one. Yeah, it's 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 so great. It kind of was one of those tomes that uh, that really made me understand structure a lot better. Yeah. Um, if I can add another one, because I'm yeah. always greedy that it. way. Um, do you know the Emotion Thesaurus by Angela Ackerman? Um, that sounds really familiar. No, it's this it's this absolute cheat, which I recommend of all for all my students to get and for everyone I talk to to get. It's um when you're adding viscerality to is that a word um to to your to your language when you want to talk about how it felt inside the body, we forget about what happens inside the body. Mm -hmm. And we always go back to like, you know, my heart pounded and my mm -hmm. palms got wet. But in her book, you open it to um, hope and or anxiety or anger. And it'll show you not only the physical outward manifestations that you can see in another character that will tell your reader what that character is feeling. But then the next section is what it feels like inside. Mm. And you're not going to copy and paste those directly. Right, um, right. But you can use those as a springboard to remember what it feels like to be inside a body when you're oh, writing. That's great. And it's fantastic. I can't recommend it more highly. Yeah. Rookie writers, if you're listening, I oh guarantee you, you write the same thing. Like I, oh, yeah. I touch butterflies my, in my stomach. Yeah. Butterfly, heart pounding. Yeah. It's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. No, that's a great, I love those kind of resources. I'll put that in the show yeah. notes. Um, must have software. Uh, I bet everybody says this, but Scrivener, of course, yeah. I couldn't live Not without everybody. Scrivener. Hey, I've had fights on this show. You know, they're like, <laughs> they're like word is it or pages or whatever. I and they want to fight me over Scrivener, but I just, I, tell have, a them, I have a friend who still work, works in word. Perfect. I know that's, she has like, I, I, 
I mean, people handwrite still. I don't know. There's crazy <laughs> stuff going on. I don't know how anyone does anything without Scribner, but that's just my personal In- biased opinion. Me too. Increasingly yeah. nowadays, I finally, finally, after many years of trying, I finally managed to embrace Evernote. Yep. Uh, and I'm an idiot for not using it before. And um, Twitter, and while it's not, it's not a program, it's merely an app, but I really find it useful for keeping up on um, industry information. Mm-hmm. And also it's my water cooler. It's definitely where I go to connect. Yep. It's actually one of the few safe places you can do that. Don't go to yeah. Facebook. You'll hate your no. life. Um, exactly. So, um, movie or, and or are both TV show you recommend that you, if you watch movies or TV shows? Uh, Sense8 is, um, have thing. you heard of that one? I've oh, it's, it, yep. it's absolutely amazing. And it takes basically these um, eight different characters who all share senses um, and they're all over the world and puts them like together. That. And this, yeah, and the storytelling of it is not only phenomenal, but the actual way that the Wachowskis show it on screen is gorgeous. Every single scene is gorgeous. And it's it's just brilliant. I can't, I That's love great. it, love it, love it. How about one writing process hack, like a writing process have to? Uh, is this from the truth that you asked me about? Yeah, not yet. Nope. Hang, oh, okay. Hang on to that. Oh, so a writing hack. Um, like, like beginning writer, like you got to do this. Like this is a key. Oh my gosh. I feel like I have so many and I, my mind just went totally blank. Let me come back to that one. Okay. Um, so this gets into the truths you might, this might tie into that one. So three writer truths, there's a microphone you find, um, it's live, it's hot. You're going to be able to speak publicly to (laughs) the writer universe. Uh, three truths. They need to know as a aspiring prolific writer, ready, go. Okay. So, uh, if you are editing as you go, that is completely fine. Um, as long as you are also completing books, if you are not completing books and you're editing as you go, it's because editing as you go, isn't working for you and you need to race to the end of a crappy first draft. Hmm. Otherwise, you're never going to finish anything. So what you think is your process, I hear a lot, you know, people say, I can't do it. I need to make every page perfect. No, you don't. That's not working for you. Mm-hmm. So um, so try racing to the end of the, the book. Uh, number two, um, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, people say that writing does get harder as you do more of it. And this is true. And I know that's terrifying because we all want this smooth road, mm-hmm. but no one ever reminds us that the rewards get bigger too. Mm-hmm. You get better at your craft and the books get better. The process is yours. You get you you finally learn how to make yourself happy when you're writing, even when you're miserable writing. It does get harder, but it gets better. And um, number three, if you've ever finished a book before, um, have a party, celebrate. You're amazing. And if you've ever finished a book before, trust that your process will get you through every single other book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that many, many people feel in the middle of their second book or their 17th book that this is, this is it. I'm done. I'm, but that's just your process. You'll, right. you'll get to the end of it. No, I think that's great. The rewards are huge. You know, I don't think yeah. we do that enough. You know, we, we kind of, and then I love that when you say it gets harder. I think the reason it gets harder is because you know more and you're better and, yes, you're, and you're more critical. Exactly you just get more credit. It's like anything in life, right? I mean, if you're good yeah. at tennis and you get better, like, and you lose, you're like, why did I lose? Cause I'm, I yeah. shouldn't lose anymore. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think, the lie is that somehow it just you float on air and it's just easier every time. I mean, again, Stephen Pressfield's made a living off writing books about that because it doesn't <laughs> And get I love e- that because I'll, I'll always buy those books. Too, yeah, it I always get easier. I always want to read it. But Wonderful. I did, I did think of a hack um, and it's it's kind of a, it's an it's an outdoor activity hack. Yep. But um, do do find a community if you don't have one mm-hmm. right now. And that's I mean true. an in-person community. Um, go to any writing meetup. Go to meetup.org mm-hmm. or whatever the meetup.com and find where the writers are and be picky make friends with lots of writers until you find the ones who that are generally in your same place in publishing and and rise up with them um it's it the the people that i started out with that are my best that that i grabbed onto then 10 years ago are we're all now pretty much at the same level and we're still as tight as ever and we've gone through all of it together that's great yeah yeah it's kind of built-in accountability i love that yeah yeah Um, so what are you working on what are you excited about right now 
I'm excited about way too much. It's terrible. It's really awful. Um, I'm revising this thriller, which I'm very excited about. Um, it is about a dispatcher. Now that I'm finally oh, not employed by the by the man, <laughs> I get to write I about the man. Throw yeah. them under the bus. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be so fun. But it's right. about a woman. It's about a dispatcher who answers the phone, and um, it is her own daughter on the other end of the line and she's yeah and she's in this house and she doesn't know where she is and she's been assaulted when do you have any public do you have a publishing date on that or i do not that one my agent is going to take out um there's some interest from at least one house and but if it doesn't sell yo i'll just sell shit i don't care we'll come back on the show Um, and tell us but just tell my agent i said that come back on the show (laughs) when it's coming out so we can talk about oh i would love to yeah I'm also working on a new collection of essays on the creative life. Um, I am also writing a book on how to write a memoir. And uh, I have um, a new proposal that I want to take out for a woman's fiction. So there's just, there's so much irons in the fire. Well, I know you have a uh, Patreon page, so go check out her Patreon page. I know you don't want to pimp that, but I will pimp it for you. Yeah, I'll I'll Um, pimp it a little bit. Patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L. Because I know you, you, we didn't really get into it, but I know you love, you know, creative essays and that's kind of your your jam. So It is my jam. I love fiction too. I love fiction, but if you had to make me choose, I would write uh, creative nonfiction for the rest of my life. Yep. Yep. Um, Where can people find you? And then maybe part B is where where should they start with everything Rachel Heron as far as books and (laughs) things like that? I would say if you um, if you like Twitter at all, come follow me on Twitter at mm-hmm. Rachel Heron. Um, and Rachel is spelled weird like Michael, A-E-L. Mm-hmm. And uh, I spent a lot of time on Twitter. I am on Facebook. Um, I'm on RachelHeron.com. But really, if you want to get to know who I am um, and you're a writer, I would love it if you came to RachelHeron.com slash write and sign up for my writer email list. Um, like I said, that's only writer encouragement. You'll hear nothing but my voice on just cheering you along and mm-hmm. talking to you about my um the holes that I fall into and how I scrabble out um, and or check out one of the podcasts, the how do you write or the pedal to the metal. Wonderful. So many things. Hey, Rachel, this <laughs> has been an absolute privilege and honor and you have helped oh a, a ton of people. And we, so I'm really glad that you came on the show. It has been so nice talking to you, Ryan. And I do mean that I'm going to hit you up to be on my show. And I, I, I need you. So hey, I can, I can <laughs> teach people what not to do. So I'll be, ha- I'll be happy to. <laughs> All right, right, Ryan. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Well, there we have it. Prolific writer nation, Rachel Heron, bringing some serious writerly goodness. So thankful to have her on the show. Doesn't she have a great story? Her story is so inspiring. I love her tenacity. I love her wisdom. I love her honesty. And I hope there was five, ten things that you could take away from this interview. I know I took away a ton of things. One of those is just the the tenacity of just keeping on going and finding the time and the space to write and just continually to do it and to get after it. And, you know, it seems like the harder you work, the luckier you get. And that's really Rachel's story. She just works hard, works her butt off and and doesn't quit and doesn't stop. And and she's also giving back. And I I love that part of her story. She loves helping writers. Go check out her podcasts. Go check out her website. Um, If you're in the the Bay Area, go sit in on one of her classes. She has a lot to, to offer. And hey, thank you for stopping by the show again. You make it possible. You're the reason I do this. And if you get a chance, could you leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or Google Play or wherever you listen to this podcast? It really helps get the show out into the world because we are dedicated to helping you write fast, write often and well. And we want others to be inspired and encouraged to get those words on the page. So, hey, thanks for stopping by and I'll talk to you real, real soon.